Good evening, and welcome to the June 2020 edition of Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. It's Pride Weekend, and despite all of the virtual celebrations shared online throughout the world, it, it just doesn't feel the same. I have to say I really miss the feeling of being in San Francisco today, where this morning was supposed to be the 50th anniversary Pride Parade. There is just something about being amongst a million people from all over our community that you don't get from watching it online. But I'm glad you're with us tonight, and I'm glad that I can share my conversation with investigative journalist Frederick Martel. Now, I discovered his work last winter while reading his recent book, In the Closet of the Vatican. Frederick spent five years doing interviews with some of the highest-ranking cardinals and bishops of the Roman Catholic Church. He was actually able to live in the Vatican while doing this work, and he shares all of his findings in this very fascinating book. Now, perhaps it's no big surprise, but gay men permeate the church, and the culture of homophobia continues to fuel all the hate and exclusion we've seen for decades. Tonight, Frederick Martel joins us from his home in Paris, France. So stay with us. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, June 28th, 2020. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of June 28th, 2020. In Ukraine, LGBTQ activists use a drone to hoist a giant rainbow flag and attach it to the motherland statue in the city of Kiev. The sculpture is highly respected in the country and stands slightly higher than the Statue of Liberty here in the U.S. While the stunt has been met with blowback in the conservative country, the government was really powerless to stop them. According to Dronarium Ukraine, the company that arranged the flight, drone flights were carried out under the current legislation and according to the rules of the state service. The company added on Facebook that they are against the manifestation of aggression against the LGBT community. While homosexuality is legal in Ukraine, the country is not welcoming to LGBTQ people. In 2017, a small group of activists who were trying to draw attention to the rampant anti-LGBTQ sentiments was violently attacked by thugs who burned the rainbow flag. When police tried to intervene, the gang turned on police, sending four of them to the hospital. Pride parades have been disallowed in previous years due to fears of violent responses, and those that have gone on have either resulted in attacks or were so heavily guarded that there were more police present than protesters. And here in the U.S., in the state of Colorado, after almost a century in the closet, resident Kenneth Feltz came out to his family and friends because self-isolation brought back memories of the love of his life, a man named Philip. Feltz said that he started writing his life story while isolated in his home due to the current coronavirus pandemic. That's when he started thinking about Philip, the man he fell in love with back in the 1950s. Feltz ultimately left Philip in order to marry a woman and live his life in the closet. He had one daughter with his wife, and they later divorced. Feltz said coming out in the 50s, 60s, and 70s was just horrendous, and that was part of the reason he never considered coming out. A few weeks ago, though, he was talking to his daughter, who's a lesbian, and told her about Philip. It was the first time he ever mentioned that he was gay. Feltz, who's now 90 years old, came out to his entire family in an email. And here in the Bay Area, with several cities in California flying more diverse versions of the rainbow flag, LGBTQ advocates in San Francisco are seeking to see the Castro Business District follow suit. On Thursday, the city of San Ramon hoisted the Philadelphia version of the Pride flag at its city hall following a city council vote voting 5-0 at a special meeting June 17th to raise that variation of the rainbow flag. 
According to the Philadelphia magazine, the marketing firm Tierney created the version of the flag in June of 2017 for the city of Philadelphia, and it includes a black and brown stripe at the top of the flag in addition to the standard six colors. Centermone Vice Mayor Sabina Zafar told the Bay Area Reporter that she's been pushing her city to fly the pride flag since seeing the neighboring town of Dublin do so for the first time last year. Dublin is also flying the Philly version of the pride flag, which went up on June 2nd. The neighboring town of Danville also raised the flag this week. Its city council voted last Tuesday to fly the flag in downtown Danville. For Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Frederick Martel is an investigative journalist and a gay man who spent five years looking inside the closet of the Vatican. Now, this is the title of his book, and it offers an extensive read with overwhelming evidence of the deeply rooted gay culture within the Roman Catholic Church. No surprise, perhaps, but the level of corruption, scandal, and tragedy from this internalized homophobia is truly sad. I found the 555-page book to be simply amazing, and one I couldn't put down. So here with us now from Paris, France, is author and investigative reporter, Frederick Martel. Frederick, welcome to the show. Bonjour. Wonderful to talk with you all the way from Paris. Uh, and, you know, as I told you before we went on the air, I just found the book that we're talking about absolutely riveting. Uh, it's called In the Closet at the Vatican. So tell us about your experience growing up in the Catholic Church. You know, I cannot say that I grew up in the in the Catholic Church. I I was Catholic uh, when I was young, uh, you know, before ten years old. I would say, like everybody in France. I mean, France was uh, in the seventies, nineteen seventies, a Catholic country, and people were were Catholic by by tradition, but also I would say by culture. It was a cultural thing. Uh, I don't even know if I really believe in God one day because I was. I was pretty young, so at that age, you know, things are not very clear. Uh, so what it's uh, what is important for me is that uh, even if I don't like it, I grew up Catholic, so it's it's a background. And uh, as uh, the famous uh, French poet Arthur Rimbaud said, "Je suis esclave de mon baptême." I'm a kind of a slave of my baptism. I'm Baptist, so. Because of that, it has, not because I believe in baptism, I think uh, it's nothing, it's just a bit of water on you. So it's not something, uh, I'm I'm not a believer anymore, and probably I never really been. But at the same time, I respect religion. I also respect that history. Uh, And uh, I would say, even if I don't like it, even if I won't want to be, I am a Catholic cultural or Catholic or cultural Catholic. Got it. Got it. Uh, you know, and the church is such a powerful force. As you mentioned, you know, it's part of the culture. It's part of the tradition, the tradition that you experienced. It must have been difficult to sort of break into to discover that hidden culture that you wrote about. Uh, there's so much secrecy and so much that we don't know about it. But what drew your interest to, to, to try to break through and to discover all of this? Um, first of all, I'm, I'm French, and in France now, the Catholic Church is not a powerful structure. Mm. They, you know, they tried to destroy the gay marriage, they tried to destroy the civilians, they failed. They, I mean, right now, 
in France, uh, 800 priests die every year and less than 50 are ordained. So it mm -hmm. means we don't have priests anymore. In addition, the real numbers are basically 3% of French population go to mass. So it means basically the Catholic uh, religion in France is dead. Wow. It's, it's not just a, a small number. It's a ultra, very, very small minority. It doesn't count. It counts as a cultural force. It counts as um, um, with some networks of uh, hospitals and uh, schools and, uh, and uh, I would say, the, the apparatus. But it's, doesn't, it's not a political force anymore. However, uh, your question is also about Italy. And that's true that in Italy, things are a bit different, even though Catholicism is also dying in Italy to, to, to a large extent. But, uh, but the Vatican is still a powerful structure. And the fact that I was French probably helped me also to, uh, I would say, to enter the system because, you know, if I would have been an Italian Catholic uh, Vaticanist journalist, they would have been extremely careful with me, and they they would have uh, known me. They would have uh, known who I uh, who I am. As a French, you know, I never lie on my name. I never lie on the fact that I was a journalist, that I was writing about the church. But you know, they don't take seriously people from outside. I was French, so it's a bit exotic, and so they let me in. They accepted that I, I meet them quite often. And also, I'm a, I'm a journalist. I've been uh, in investigative work for, for a very long time. The, it, it is my 10th book. So I know also how to deal with, uh, uh, I would say, with secret things. You don't lie, but you don't have to answer the question. You know? right. And also, you create a friendship. You know, the, the way I did the book is... I used the gay network, of course, to enter the church. And then I was uh, accepted because I was a friend. I was not, I mean, they knew I was a journalist. But when you see somebody for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, coming, living with you, living in the Vatican, because I had several apartments within the Vatican, then, you know, they don't think you are like doing something uh, um, against them. And actually, I'm not doing anything against them. I, I really, and I'm not joking here, I really think I helped the church. Really? T talk more about that. I mean, when I read the book, I was just floored. I thought, how did he get in? And as you mentioned, develop these wonderful friendships with people, uh, and you were, you were so ingrained and it seemed to, to happen fairly quickly. Um, I imagine once the book was, was written and sent to press, there was probably some pushback from publishers or, or no. no. Again, I'm, I'm a French writer and, uh, in France, such a thing won't exist at all. I mean, uh, you know, it's part of our DNA. It's part of our, uh, uh, I would say even our political system, you know, it's very simple. We call it secularism. In French, we have a word for that, laïcité, la laïcité. Laïcité means basically it's a law of 1905, and the law, to summarize, has two articles. Article 1 says we have the right to believe. And believing, believing in, a, in God, in a religion, whatever the religion, it's 
a freedom and it's a public constitutional right. So you're protected when you go to church, when, whenever you're a believer, it's a fundamental constitutional right. Then you have Article 2 that basically says exactly the opposite. It says that France is a, a, a secular country. Re religion cannot have any role in the public domain and you have the right to criticize the church. And I would say from Voltaire to Rousseau, from Rimbaud to Michelet until today, criticizing the church is part of our DNA. So, uh, and I, I don't say it's, it's a rule just to criticize, it's also a rule to, to, to support the church, but nobody, no publisher, no newspaper, I mean, at least in the, I don't speak about the little fanzine for the Catholic uh, extremely right, of course, but basically in the French system, people do believe that's a constitutional right to believe and also to criticize the religion. That's it. Wow. But to answer your question, and I think it's a, the more important point, if I would have been, a, an, again, an Italian Catholic Vaticanist journalist, this book wouldn't have existed. Because in Italy, when you go to press, the media or the publisher, this kind of book would have been a problem. If you're a Catholic um, you, and a straight Catholic, you don't get the code. You don't understand the system. Right. If you're a Vaticanist and you write this book, you basically lose your job. And if you are, as I said before, uh, a straight person, you cannot enter, you cannot understand, you cannot basically describe. This is why this book has been done by a French, not an Italian, by a non-Catholic, non-Vaticanist, and also by somebody who has the code. Well, you certainly got the code because you talked with a lot of very high-ranking Vatican officials and developed these relationships that that uh, were very much friendships. How did you go about – what was your initial in? I'm just curious how you got through the initial walls and started developing uh, such a welcoming uh, presence at the Vatican. Um, if your question is uh, – do I slept with cardinals? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> no, uh, to be more serious, you said before uh, it was like such a quick and easy. It was not. It took me five years. Mm. So in the beginning, I was not even able to enter the Vatican. It was extremely difficult to, to see people and even to see them a second time. And so I decided in the beginning, I thought I wouldn't be able to do the book so i tried and then i think it's going to fail because i i should have been in rome and being an italian maybe a priest to do it and then i met a few priests and they introduced me to other priests and so on and after a few weeks months i said okay i'm going to come to rome to live in rome every month for one week and it took me actually four or five years to do that and step by step week after week, month after month, meeting after meeting. Again, when you met a cardinal in the beginning, he's very careful and mm -hmm. he doesn't really speak. And then you see him a second time and a third time. And then you, you're a friend with his uh, assistant. And then you see a bishop and then another priest. Then I, I recruit a, 
uh, Daniel Particelli, who became my main assistant in Rome. He was living in Rome all the time. He also made a lot of contact between my own uh, trips. He prepared my trips. And then, you know, I enter in the Vatican through all the doors at the same time. I use the French network, of course. I use the gay network. I use the American one because I have a lot of connection with the US. I, I use the very strong Spanish, which means Latin America network in the Vatican. And also the Italian. I went to the Episcopal Conference in Italy. I went to some churches in Rome. I went to Milan, to Geneva, to uh, to Napoli, to more than 12 or 13 cities around the country to interview again priests and priests. And every time, you know, it's very simple. When somebody says, I don't have the time, I say, okay, don't worry. I write you again in one month. And a month after I was here, again and again. And so sometimes it failed, sometimes it was difficult, but step by step, I was able to meet more than, I think, 43 cardinals and a bit more because some are not, uh, um, I don't, I cannot mention their name in the book. Uh, many more bishops and an hundred of priests and ma many others. I mean, journalists, Vaticanists. I met also uh, the, the, the people in the embassy. I met uh, the journalists in many countries because very quickly, I, after being uh, deciding to be in Rome one week every month. I also decided to be in another country every month for a week also, because I thought what's happening in Rome, it's also the case in Chile, in Mexico, in Argentina, in, G in Germany, in, uh, in Lebanon, uh, in France, of course, in, in Spain. So I, I, I was in uh, more than uh, 27, I think, 30 countries doing also the same research, probably less, of course, than I'd done in Rome, but, and you know, when you arrive in, in Mexico and you meet a cardinal, it's a different way than when you meet him in, in Rome. They are very happy that a French journalist is coming to ask them questions. And once again, I never lie. All of them knew my name. It's, you Google me in two minutes, you know that I am a, a gay writer, that I wrote books about gay, but also that I am a serious researcher. Or I've done thousands of reportage. They know I was doing a book because I basically ask them for an interview all the time. They don't necessarily know a, a, anything. You know, For example, I don't go to see a cardinal and say, hey, uh, excellence, uh, I'm eminence, I'm a, a gay journalist, I'm writing a book that will be called In the Closet in the Vatican, and since you are in the closet, I want to interview you as a gay closeted cardinal. Of course it doesn't work like that, right. but uh, you can do interviews. For example, if I say I'm writing about Cardinal Alfonso Lopez Trujillo, it's going to be a subject of my book in, in um, Colombia, do you accept to, to see me for an interview? They know it's about Cardinal Alfonso Lopez Trujillo. And in my book, there is a chapter on Alfonso Lopez Trujillo. So that's basically journalism. Wow. Well, and I think you do a great job, particularly there's a section toward the end of the book that summarizes all of the, the number of interviews and all of the countries and all of the places that you visited. And it really gives you sort of a big picture look at the scope of your research. And it's it's... It's just impressive. I, I'm really fascinated by the relationships that you were able to develop with so many of the of the folks that you write about. Which are the ones that really remain dear to you? You know, it's a, it's a, it's difficult to 
to say to to ask the question first of all i um i would say that uh, i'm i'm a lover uh, in general so it means I, i love people i love to meet people i love to to speak uh, and I, I come from south of france so it means also i'm kind of generous i i i go with them to cafe to restaurant and invite them i i try to be friendly uh, you know and uh, we we went to vacation sometimes together i lived with them i mean some of them invited me to live with them in their apartment because they have big apartment with many rooms for friends and three of them invited even me in the vatican inside the vatican and i and, and i lived there i had my key to enter the vatican within, without even being controlled by the gendarmeria or by the the swiss guard so but again it took time it's it's uh, i believe in uh, narrative non-fiction research that are based on very long time of research that's basically my my way of uh, of working so to answer your question i mean i both love all of them because each of them is wonderful even when they lie to you and you know that even when they are so caricature as a human being they are wonderful but at the same time it's also you know for somebody like me which uh, you know i'm french i'm a journalist i'm not a believer i'm i'm openly gay to spend five years in front of people that are caricature of themselves, that are actually are sad because they cannot live their life. Right. And also because they, they don't accept what and who they are. At the t- after <laughs> a few years, it's a bit uh, depressing. Uh, mm. It's a bit, bit depressed. Hmm. Yeah, I But bet. just one, one more point. Yeah. It is a gay network. It means... Um, we are in front of gay people. The vast majority of the cardinal and bishops in the Vatican are gay. It, I, I, I don't want to say they are actively gay. A lot of them are closeted. A lot of them are in trouble. A lot of them don't even know that they are gay. Mm-hmm. And they, they will be friendly with you without any problem. They don't try to rape you. Don't, don't, don't make me wrong. But at the same time, being gay, even when they are not actively gay, they connect with gay people. So what was so difficult for me in the beginning, which means entering in contact with them, became extremely easy when they met me, when when we became, uh, I wouldn't say friend, because I'm a journalist. I never mix up my work and, and friendship. This is why I never slept with anyone in the Vatican, even not with Twisgard, even though they are very beautiful. But the idea is you create a personal relationship. And because of that, you know, I had people crying in front of me. Mm. I had people that said to me that they try to correct their homosexuality. They hope to become straight one day. And, uh, you know, we are not with people when you speak in the Vatican with them in 2020, we are in the 1950s. We are mm. with people that are locked down in a way in the 1950s. So they react about homosexuality how in the same way than, than, than writer in uh, 1940s or 1950s were, were reacting. 
which means don't accepting who you are. Be afraid by God. Um, sometimes you had a love affairs and then for weeks you basically uh, fight against yourself. You, you don't even uh, accept what you are. You lie to others, but you also lie to yourself. So that's basically the world that you, you, you entering when you do this kind of book. Wow. I, and and as I'm listening to this, I, I feel sad for many of those yes. men. It, it must feel are, like you're in prison. Yes, I mean, that's a terrible life. Uh, and, and I don't even want to say, because I don't believe that, that they are not good Catholic. I think they are very good Catholic. I never discussed that. I mean, you have people that are like big criminals in the Vatican. You have people that kill people, that basically destroy uh, left-wing priests or uh, use prostitution or, or, or are very rich. And I could give you a name. But the vast majority are just people that are in a trap. But they have been trapped for for decades and, and decades. So it is not, I would say, um, it's not a nappy world. But, uh, you know, again, uh, you doing this kind of book, it's to, to, I mean, to be also in empathy with them. You need to, to, to feel, to, to be like them, they are and to, to, to understand them. And, and I, I think it's pretty safe what they have done. I mean, they were gay when they were like uh, 20 years old. They discovered that uh, they have a problem because we all have this problem one day when you're gay. Mm-hmm differently today than it was before. But there is a time at 15, 12, uh, 18, 20, depending on the people, you realize you're gay. And that's a problem. And these people find the solution. And for them, the solution was to become a priest. And it was easy in a way in the 1940s or in the 1950s. It was very simple. You know, you uh, had some trouble in your university. For example, people were making fun of your voice or your clothes. Uh, you don't want to get married. You don't want to have sex with girls. So you, you are like uh, in a trap again. And your mom is very unhappy by what, what your life would become. Mm-hmm. And suddenly you become priest, you make this choice. And things are very simple after that. You can be only with men. You can sing with your voice that is very maybe sometimes feminine. You can have clothes of women. And your mom that understood everything was so happy by this mysterious and sudden vocation and sacerdoce. And your friends that were making, you know, joke against you are now, now they respect you. So from a weaknesses, it became a strength. And so what I'm telling you here, it's not just one case. Million of priests made this kind of choice. Well, and I can identify with that. I mean, I grew up in the Catholic Church, went through the whole process of confirmation. I was an altar boy. Um, and when I started to figure out who I was in seventh grade, that crossed my mind. I thought, okay, well, this could be, I, I, I appreciated the tradition of the Catholic church and all of the ceremonies around it. And I thought, well, this is perfect. It's a, it's a boys club. I can go and I can have and live with men and no one will ever know. 
And I, I don't say that in a, I don't think they are necessarily hypocritical. I mean, some are, but I think many of them don't, they didn't even know for sure that they were gay. I mean, being gay in 1940s or 1950s was not right. something you can really say. I mean, the word itself, gay, was not used, right? right. So even homosexual was not a word that you used so much at that time. So basically, you had a big problem. You were in jeopardy because of God as well. And so, you know, it's not, I'm not going to the church to, to sleep with boys because I'm going to, to, to be outside of my uh, previous world. No, I think they are very honest. They believe in God because they also believe in God. And they decide to go to try to put their homosexuality apart, to try to put under control. The problem is that when you do that at uh, 20 years old in the 1950s, then you are 25 and then 30 and then it's uh, the 60s and the 70s and then the world changed and you are still on your trap. I think that's an explanation of how the church became more and more homophobic because in the front of the world that opened, they needed to, to, to clothe themselves to, to protect their secret. And it's also to some cases of course, not to the majority, but to some cases, one among many explanation of sexual abuse, because you are so uh, repressed, so in the denial, so uh, hating others and hating yourself because of that, sometimes you, you make big mistakes. Yeah. Wow. It just makes so much sense, right? Uh, and it explains so much. Wow. Wow. Well, that just explains so much. Well, we are talking with Frederick Martel. He's the author of a book called In the Closet at the Vatican. And we're going to take a music break. We'll be right back with more. So stay with us. Sometimes I get to feel I was back in the old days. When we were young Things seemed so perfect You know The days were endless We were crazy We were young The sun was always shining We just lived for fun Sometimes it seems like lately I just don't know The rest of my life's been
And if you're just joining us, that was These Are the Days of Our Lives by Queen. You're listening to Outbeat News in Depth here on KRCBFM Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. And with me tonight is investigative reporter Frederick Martel. He's the author of a book called In the Closet of the Vatican. And we're talking about gay culture and homophobia within the Roman Catholic Church. You, you alluded to this earlier, and you write about some of the villains that you encountered. Let's just face it, they're criminals and very powerful people that, that have done some pretty awful things. What are some of the villains that really stand out to you? You know, I, I took as a rule for, for this book, uh, for legal issue, but also for moral issue, not to, you know, a journalist is not a judge. I think it's extremely important not to become a judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, we try to understand the people and the situation, and we try to make a good book, to write a good book, to have the people understanding things that they, they know kind of in a way, but they, they weren't able really to, to, to describe it. And our role is to, is to do that. At the same time, uh, I mean, that's also true that we, uh, I, I, uh, I find a lot of people that were lying. And my rule was not to, to out any, any priest or cardinal when they are alive. And so in general, I don't, I don't out people except in three cases. One case is if the cardinal or the bishops is dead for a long time, because then it's history and you can write about that. Second of all, when the, 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 the priest or the cardinal have been accused of sexual abuse for, by, by, by official press and, and with trials and they've have been felt guilty. And we know that in this abuse, they have a strong desire for, for, for men uh, or, or, or teenagers, which explain that to some extent they are, they are attracted by men. And third of all, when they have been already outed by mainstream media, for example, like some, um, some uh, bishops in, in Spain or in Germany. Uh, but yes, I, there is, I mean, a lot of people that are acquaintances of, uh, of the, the, the hypocrisy and the villain, as you said. Um, they, they are pretending, respecting God and working for John Paul II, especially because a lot of them were around John Paul II. They were like the caricature of the, the saints, supposedly. And then in behind, behind that, they have uh, tons of lovers, which, which is fine for me. I mean, if a priest has a lover, I don't have any problem with that. I mean, if the lover is cons- with consent, is adult, and there is no authority between him and you, whatever. I mean, I don't have any trouble. For me, it's not... A, the, the only important things are the, the law by the country, by the government, not the law by God. I mean, but sometimes it is prostitution. Sometimes it's also abuse. And, and even rape and, and what we call droit du seigneur. Uh, you know, uh, you ask a priest to have sex with you because you're a bishop or a seminarian because you're a priest and these kind of things. And that's, that's the case uh, that is extremely um, common. Yeah. Well, I, re- I recall a, a portion of the book where you write about uh, St. Peter's Square 
And that was one of the places where you found there to be the most activity, the most cruising, if you will, in the in the evening hours. And and then also that there was this whole network of um, sex workers, male sex workers, who had regular clients at the Vatican. I mean, once again, um, my book is not about the the scandal. It could have been much more easy to write a book just with scandals. And mm -hmm. we have enough scandals to make a book. It has been so, you know, for example, I, I live in um, in the Vatican when, when people told me that uh, regularly on, a, on an apartment, I knew the apartment, I knew the people, they were inviting uh, priests and even cardinals to have sex with prostitutes and drugs. And, you know, it's unbelievable in the Vatican actually inside the congregation of the doctrine of the faith, the inquisition building. And in the beginning, of course, I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. It was too much. I mean, inside this. And then I met the people and they told me, they gave me the name of the cardinals and the play, the name of the assistant that was basically the priest that was inviting the people. I even seen the apartment because I, I, was, uh, I was there. I never been part of the party. They mm -hmm. didn't invite me, unfortunately, but but I I knew that very well. And it was too much that in the beginning I said, okay, I'm not going to publish that in my book because people will wouldn't believe me. And then so a scandal arrived. The gendarmerie arrested everybody, and it was in every newspaper in Italy. Right. And so it was very well known. Even though the name of the cardinal weren't published, I know two of them, and I, I, I'm not even, I'm not myself publishing their name, but I know who they are, and I met them. But then, of course, I mentioned that in the book because it was already public knowledge. So I don't want, I, I didn't try to focus too much on the the scandals and so on. What is my subject is more the silent majority. It's more the past that. Uh, that 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 put these thousand and actually probably million of priests around the world for for decades in the trap, and uh, that that's a much more interesting subject for yes. me than just uh, you know having prostitute in the Vatican, even though it's also part of the story, and especially within the the pontificate of John Paul II, some of the most closest advisor and cardinals around around. John Paul II, had sexual prostitution within the Vatican under John Paul II. Right. Wow. Well, I, I, I get what you're saying about, you know, not wanting to expose the scandal because other people were doing that. But I think what you were able to do was to really clearly provide evidence of the vast hypocrisy. I, I think at least from a person who grew up in the Catholic Church and, and listening to the rhetoric and the dogma around you know, homosexuality is wrong, you're going to go to hell, you're a sinner, all of those kinds of things. And, and hearing bishops and cardinals in this country, in the U.S., you know, speak out so adamantly against uh, and vilify gay people, then to read about what a huge part of the culture, the internal culture, the church is, it, it, it just is, it's angering. Um, but it was an important it was an important story for you to tell, and and that's the part that I think I really appreciated about it. And it and yes, but at the same time, you know, people are saying uh, to me all the time, "Why they are so homophobic if they are gay?" It's a contradiction. No, 
It's not a contradiction. It's a consequence. They are homophobic because they are gay. And because it's the best way forever. I mean, when you go back to, 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 to famous writers in the 19th century or Marcel Proust in the 20th century, you see that people that are gay in the closet are the much more homophobic as a rule because they want to hide themselves. And to hide, it's just to, to make fun and to be against gay people and to... To, to surplay, to play even more the, the game of, uh, of you know, um, being, being against gay people. That's, yeah. that's a kind of techniques. It's the old he who does protest too much, right? Exactly. But also, if you take Hoover, for example, the former head and, uh, of the FBI, I mean, he spent years of basically blackmail people, blackmailing people right. with uh, information about their sexuality and homosexuality and also being very homophobic to, to some extent. And at the same time, living, I mean, actively or not, it's a long debate. Nobody knows very well, but for sure, being gay and with a lover that was his deputy at the FBI for, for decades. Right. Well, let's talk a little bit about modern time. Uh, Pope Francis, you know, he... Uh, at least for me, he shows some signs of maybe hope and trying to change the church. He's dropped some hints in some of the things that he said. But there's also, as you write about, a very, very conservative, diehard conservative branch within the the upper rankings of the church that's pushing back hard. Do you think he has a chance at, at shifting this church and modernizing it where it'll survive? You know, um, first of all, I, I was not a, a a big fan of Pope Francis. Uh, he's an Argentinian. He's 83, four years old now. Uh, he's a Peronist, which is a part uh, right-wing, left-wing uh, nationalist uh, Argentinian. And he's a Jesuit. And as you know, from Michelet to Voltaire, the French don't have a very um, cool relation with, with Jesuit uh, 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 in general, in French, Jesuit as a synonym, it's hypocritical. That's mm. immediately. Everybody will think of a Jesuit as an hypocritical person. Uh, so I was not a big fan. And then I, I did my research. I, I also traveled to, to Argentina I, twice. I met uh, his assistants, many other people. And, and I understood the, the fight within the Vatican against Pope Francis. And step by step, I became much more uh, in favor of him and more friendly with him because, I mean, we might, I mean, as a Jesuit, one day he says something and the day after he will say something else. He will be gay friendly and then the day after will be homophobic. One step behind, one step further. He's always a bit changing his mind. But I think the direction, the path, is right. He knows where he goes. Of course, you cannot expect from an 83 years old cardinal that is Pope to, you cannot ask him to go to the gay pride in Rome, of course. So he's not, I would say, uh, an LGBT activist and he's very against the queer studies and gender issue. But I think he's, he's a human person. He's, he, he, he trusts the 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 people i think he, he loves people and his entourage is very gay like basically i mean hadzinger is a uh, pope benedict 16 was even more gay and jean paul 16 as uh, jean, jean paul the uh, second as mainly gay people around him but that's also true for francis to to some extent 
But I think he never, whenever he's in contact with a gay person, he knows the person is gay, even in his close entourage, he never judged them, who I am to judge. And in fact, he tries to go to the good direction. So to answer your question, I would say, I think he's too old, it's too late, and his opponents are too strong for him to really be the, I would say, the, the, the Mandela of the Catholic Church. But he is the Gorbachev of the Catholic Church, which means he's the one that prepares the system to change. Mm. And it, he does that in a very simple way. There is two rules in the Vatican that are, that are wonderful. First of all, when you are 75 years old, you quit your job. And at 80, you don't vote. It means that the vast majority of the cardinals that are extremely old are going in the next one, two, three, four, five years, stop to vote. And they are going to quit. So it means the next pope, especially if this one, if, if Francis is, will survive another five to 10 years, the next pope will be elected by a totally new generation of, of cardinals. None of them, basically, I think there is a few still, but basically in five or ten years, none of them will have been um, elected by, by John Paul II. So it, and, and even a few by, by Benedict XVI. So it's going to be a totally different world. I, I don't say that is going to change. We are not going to have a, a young pope and a gay pope, uh, probably, but things might, might change. And again, the debate is not about moral, the right, the wing, the left wing, or whatever. The debate is a dem demography debate. Mm -hmm. As I said in the beginning, the vast majority of the priests in Western country are more than 70 years old. Uh, they, a lot of them die, especially right now in coronavirus time. I mean, more than 100 priests die in Italy. And I think 60 die in France wow. just because of coronavirus. Wow. And in a few years, we, we don't have priests. No, not in France, not in Spain, not in Italy, not in Germany. So it means basically they will have to change. They will have to accept women as a priest. They will have to accept married priest because the reason why the priest you know that's very simple when you're straight you don't accept anymore to become priest because you want to get married and you want kids that's basically the teaching of the church you you need to find a family to to, to build a family and to have kids and so the straight priests they don't accept anymore in seminary they enter sometimes very few the majority are gay when they are not gay they are straight and in general they quit or they quit after a few years of being priest. And when they stay, it's either because they are gay or because they have big trouble with sexuality. And, and also because of sexual abuse, the church has to change because uh, sexual abuse is not just a few bad, uh, as we say, uh, black sheep. It is a system. Right. It's thousands of priests, thousands of priests. Dozens of thousands in the US, in Australia, in Canada, in Mexico, in Chile, in Argentina, in Brazil, but also everywhere here in Italy, in Spain, in France, in UK, in Ireland, in Australia, as I said. So it is a path. It is not an accident. It's a sociological system of protection and also a sociological system of recruiting and promoting people that 
are extremely immature or bad about their sexuality. So, well, wow. I mean, so just just from a recruiting standpoint, the church is in trouble. I, I think I get that for sure. The money is also a factor, right? I mean, one of the reasons that in this country anyway, with religious freedom, like in France, that churches and faith leaders survive is because they they can collect money. I mean, somebody's got to pay for their, their life and their church and their building. And so the Catholic Church is, is seems to be bleeding money a lot uh, through lawsuits and litigation. Um, and this is the lack of followers. If, if, if people are not willing to become priests and then followers are drifting away because they've lost faith or lost allegiance or interest or they've been... Uh, you know, sort of put off by the hypocrisy and the scandals and everything that's happened, you know, as you look out, what do you think the future of the Catholic Church is? Is it going to f crumble one day or is it going to survive? You know, I'm not, uh, again, to, to be honest, uh, my goal with this book is not to change the church. I mean, I, I don't think it's the goal of a journalist. I mean, we are writer. We, we, we describe a reality and then people will take uh, your arguments and your methodology or whatever, and they might change if they want, but that's not my goal. At the same time, you know, in the beginning, they were 12, so they will survive. They, they can grow up from even from a very bad moment. They, uh, the, the resilience, uh, as we say, uh, of the church is pretty strong. So I'm not, uh, I'm not afraid of the future of the church. The, the Catholic Church is booming in the US, especially thanks to Latinos uh, and Mexicans mainly. It's booming in Brazil, in Mexico, it's in Latin America, in Africa, in uh, the Middle East, even in, uh, in some Asian country where there is more Catholic than now than, than before. So, you know, things are going to, to, be, to be fixed. Uh, however, and this is why I began my discussion with you saying that I'm probably uh, somebody that will help the church. I think when you're in the situation like we are today, uh, this kind of books that is based on fact and reality, and, you know, I've done my work, my homework. The book is published. You can dismiss it or you can hate me, whatever, but that's it. It's part of the debate. You don't believe me? That's your choice. But... You are going to have every year, every month, new scandals and so on and so forth. So you need to fix the problem. And so basically, when you have somebody that honestly and in a serious way analyzes the situation, you need to take that into account, I think, and uh, and then just uh, change to, to to survive. And to some extent, I think that's what uh, Pope Francis uh, is dreaming to do, even though he's not able do that this is why in a way uh you know the pope spoke about my book and it's has been made uh, public in the us and also in latin america a lot he said to a very famous um, lawyer in chile he said i read the book it is okay i knew everything mm. and uh, i would say speaking on truth and um, and trying to to correct the church and to tell the truth which is my 
the way I wrote this book, it's basically what the Pope asked us to do. Hmm. Well, I love it. It's, it's, it's a wonderful read. It's very informative and, and quite fascinating. Uh, where can people go to follow you and your work? What do you mean uh, about uh, websites? Websites, and yeah. Networks? Yeah. Uh, you know, the book has been published uh, in English, uh, the US, Canada, UK, Australia, under the title uh, uh, In the Closet of the Vatican, which I love. I mean, the closet was also the idea of my title. Uh, but everywhere else in the world is uh, published under the, the title Sodoma, which is also the Italian word for Sodom. Uh, and so you can follow me. Uh, the book is... Uh, is uh, available everywhere in uh, Amazon and so on, but mainly uh, I have a website, frederickmartel.fr.com, sorry. And uh, Martel F is on Twitter, uh, uh, Martel Frederick on Instagram, uh, Frederick Martel on Facebook. So basically, and, um, and there is new chapters and new uh, information that I update in online uh, quite often. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I'm happy to speak about the book. I'm, I'm, of course, happy, like every writer, to have people reading my book. But I will say, honestly, that uh, it's uh, the book is done. And I'm actually moving to other issues. It's not even my book anymore. People have to use it or not, but it's their book. And so you, you can follow me or whatever, but it's mainly what you can do yourself for that, to change your church. And I, I give you this, this work, but you, uh, you, you don't need me anymore. I mean, it's not my job. I've done my job. And so now things has been, needs to be done by, by the people uh, themselves. And, uh, and uh, to some extent, uh, um, you know, the book has been sold in... Uh, in, uh, in more than 20 languages. And uh, we were bestseller in more than 15 countries. So I'm happy about that. But what it makes me more happy than that, it's very simple, is that in the last year, for more than a year, I got 10 letters every day. And in general, as a, as a, as a average. 10 letters, people are not saying I'm, I love your book. I mean, they do that. And all the letters, 99% are very favorable book. But after saying thanks for the book, it's wonderful, whatever, they said, here is my story. Mm -hmm. And the story I got by thousands of people are all different, but all the same. They realized reading the book, how basically being a priest was also their solution when they were gay. Or leaving the church was because of that, or why they had some trouble, not necessarily abuse, but troubles with some priests was also because of that. Or also they understand what the priests were talking to them and so on. So thousands of people wrote me their story. And I think that's much more important than, than selling books or, 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 or doing interview like I do today, which I'm happy to. It's just uh, to listen to these voices. And everyone can speak with people around him in his church or in, in the gay community or in the LGBT and Catholic community, because we have a lot now of queer uh, 
Bible groups and even gay priests openly. I mean, I met many of them in Mexico, in Spain, in Italy, and just speak to them because this is uh, their life. Right. Wow. Well, if you miss those websites or those uh, social media sites, we'll put them on our own website at outbeatnews.com so that you can uh, follow Mr. Martel's work. You mentioned new projects. You're moving on. Uh, what's coming up for you? You know, I, I believe uh, in a time of uh, social networks, uh, I am also a social network, so it's not a critique, but uh, in a time of uh, quick uh, quick books and uh, and, and sometimes fake news. I believe in long work. So uh, I'm, I'm working in many things, but nothing will be published before uh, three or four years, probably. Uh, I have to find also my voice, my, my way of writing on a different topic. But I'm also doing small things like articles and, uh, you know, I work on literature a lot. I work on culture and the arts, especially in a time when they, it's difficult without going to theater, uh, clubs and, um, and music, uh, opera and uh, music center. So this, they are part of my research right now. But uh, my next book won't be on gay issue and won't be on Catholicism. Got it. Got it. Well, the book is called In the Closet of the Vatican, Power, Homosexuality, Hypocrisy. We've been talking with Frederick Martel, the investigative reporter who spent five years researching all of that within the Roman Catholic Church. Thanks again for being with us tonight. Thank you. Au revoir. And that brings us to the end of our hour. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on Radio 91. In the meantime, happy Pride. Stay safe and healthy, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News In Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our programs are available for on-demand play on our website at OutbeatNews.com and on iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, and Stitcher. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all month long. I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I give it up to you. On air, online, or on the go, we are Radio 91, KRCB-FM Windsor, and K215-CQ Santa Rosa. It's 9 p.m. Stay with us. Afropop is next.